Open up our Bibles. We are continuing in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 9 this morning, um, verses 14 through 32. So follow along with me as I read. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. This is the word of the Lord. So a helpful exercise that I do when I uh, approach scripture that I would commend to you, really when you approach any text at all, uh, but especially when you approach scripture, is to just ask, write down questions. Ask questions that you have uh, about the text. And this is a helpful exercise to do whether you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're like, these stories just roll over you, they're familiar. It's another Jesus casting out a demon story from the Gospels. If you start to write down some of your questions about the story, you begin to notice some of the ways that the story may jostle you in ways that you wouldn't have noticed if you had just let it roll over you. Um, it's also a helpful thing to do if you're not a Christian and you want to learn more about the Bible and be honest about where you're at coming face-to-face with this text. So I thought I would share some of the qu- questions I have as I was like cross-examining this text uh, for the first and second time. So questions I had after reading through this story. Uh, at the beginning, what are the scribes arguing with the disciples about? The scribes are they're kind of just mentioned in that first verse that they're arguing with the disciples, and then they, they kind of, they're not there again. What are they arguing about? Here's a question I had. Why was the crowd amazed to see Jesus? It, so usually, if you've been following with us in the Gospel of Mark, usually Jesus does the, the miracle or the healing, the exorcism, and then people are amazed afterwards. Here, it's, it's that Jesus just showed up, and they were greatly amazed and ran up to him. What, why is the order different? Uh, this was probably my, one of my biggest questions about this text. Um, a couple chapters ago, in chapter 6, 
Jesus commissioned the disciples, sent them out in two by two, and they cast out, the text tells us, they cast out demons in his name. What changed? Why couldn't they do it? Why couldn't they cast out demons here? And then another question I had, and I, I don't fully know the answer to this question, is how can, so how can Jesus blame the boy's demon possession, this, the presence of this unclean spirit? How can he blame it on a generation's lack of faith? What's the connection between those two? Start this way, just to try and make the, a passage, like a story that you've heard, we've been hearing again and again and again in the Gospel of Mark, a little, little less familiar. I think it's, it's an important thing to do, asking these, these questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this passage, just kind of take us through this story again. Um, and a main point about this about this story it has, it has a lot to do with faith. So I'm going to go walk us through this passage, answer some of the questions I pose, I think, and then talk for a bit about faith, about what faith is not, what faith is. So let's look at this passage again. So Jesus, last week, John Alexander preached about the transfiguration in Mark 9. So this is, that was a, he, he called it like a mountaintop experience, literally and figuratively. Jesus was at the top of a mountain with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus appears in his glory to them. He's as white, uh, whiter than anyone can bleach, um, and Moses and Elijah, two great prophets from the Old Testament, appear next to him, who two men who also had mountaintop experiences in the Old Testament. And Jesus is strengthened for his ministry, and uh, the, the, like the disciples, it's revealed again that who Jesus is, God the Father speaks and says, this is my, my beloved son, listen to him. Um, so they're coming down off of this mountaintop experience, and they come into this mess of a situation. It's like a great picture of like the, you know, the mountaintop experiences that we have, times where we feel like we really encounter God. We, we, maybe it's like a, a thing that happens a lot is Christians love going on retreats. You know? So it's like you go on a retreat, you have this great experience, and then you get back and your kids are crying and, or there's a conflict with a friend or the house is literally a mess. Uh, the, you know, the, uh, something is broken in your house. Like Jesus comes back from this mountaintop experience, and it's just a mess. The, the scribes are arguing with the disciples. The disciples are frustrated because they can't heal this guy, this, the, this guy's son. Um, and he just is confronted with faithlessness after this, um, this, this mountaintop experience. So like I noted, people are amazed to see him right away. And I think that the best explanation for that uh, is that it, it's a bit of a, I think, a bit of an echo of what happened with Moses in the Old Testament. So Moses went up to Mount Sinai, came down, and the text tells us that his face shone, like he was glorious even in his just appearance and his presence. And I think people are amazed to see Jesus in kind of in a similar way. Like who, it was revealed who he was, he was strengthened. And he comes down and people are amazed just by the sight of him. So Jesus shows up, he's like, what are you guys arguing about? Well, you know, what's going on? And immediately the, a father brings his son to Jesus and, and explains his son's situation. Uh, the son's possessed by an unclean spirit, which is, we've heard that phrase a, lot, a few times in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and the boy, he describes what his, his boy's condition. And we're, there are a few, like, it, the Gospel of Mark is, is interesting where it's, it's incredibly graphic about some of the, the, unclean, the, the unclean spirit's possession accounts, like the demon accounts. And again, like, I feel like we can just let these stories roll over us that we lose sight of how graphic, like how PG-13, maybe even R-rated, like this... This, this condition is for this, this boy. He, he's, whenever the spirit overtakes him, he's mute. 
which is, there are different kinds of spirits, I suppose, because other ones really speak a lot in the Gospels. He's mute, he convulses on the ground, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. And worse than that, worse than that as Jesus asks some questions, it makes the, 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 the spirit makes the boy th- throw himself into fire and water, tries to harm him, make him harm himself. And uh, Matthew 17 is another, like, another, is Matthew's kind of take on this story. It's, it's similar, There's like, some, some, some details are, are positioned differently to make, to make different points, but Matthew calls the boy an epileptic, which is to say, you know, he's, he had seizures. Which, so it's, it's what, what this boy is going through, it's a combination of both spiritual, spiritual and medical things, maladies, like, problems going, going on, and, and the, it being a combination of what, like, those things are, like, just interwoven. You can't, and we, we like to kind of separate those things out, keep them in their separate silos. For this boy, it's clearly, like, both are tied together, and perhaps, like, the, the fact that they're tied together is the reason why, you know, Jesus asks a question uh, that sounds like the boy's, like, out of physical or something. He's, he asked the father, like, how long, how long has he been experiencing this? Which, again, that sounds like something you get at a, ch- a question you'd be asked at a checkup. And the father says, from childhood, which is an interesting thing, like from childhood. So usually boys became men earlier in the ancient world. Uh, so this boy's probably an older boy, like maybe 9, 10, 11. And from childhood means that this, this boy's probably been facing this problem for a long time, um, for like the majority of his, of his life since he was a child. Um, so Jesus, like beholding this whole situation, he laments. He... he he, so what, what is Jesus looking at again? He's looking at his disciples, the ones who follow him, who like just can't understand him, who are powerless, unable to cast out this demon, frustrated. He sees um, a, the scribes arguing and trying to take down his disciples, just take, take him down. Um, he sees a crowd rubbernecking, you know, running up to, to oogle at what's going on. Just a mess, and he names that this is, it's a, he, he laments this faithless generation. Um, and this passage is primarily about faith and faithlessness. And the faithlessness ends up being put on display, particularly in the Father, right? And it just in one little clause of the Father's. So Jesus asked the question about this, how this, this boy's condition. The Father says, you know, he's had it since childhood. And, and then the Father just, he kind of, he, he's he, you know, looking he's at, by Jesus. He's like, if you can, if you can, have compassion on us. Um, if you can, heal my son. And in that, like, if you can, it's like, there are different ways you could see it as you consider the father's situation. It's like, is it, a, it could, be just, could just be like a shrug. Like, if you can. It could be, could be like a cynical, like, if you can. Remember that the father is, he's been with the disciples, and the disciples haven't been able to do anything. So, like, he's seen their ineptitude. He, he's had this, his son's had this really rotten, this awful condition for a long time. You can almost hear some of the weariness and the doubt and just being worn down in that if you can. But that's what Jesus zooms in on. And he's like, if you can, if you can, if you can. And after that, 
Jesus issues this memorable one-liner about faith. He says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the word for believes is it's the, same, it's the same word from which we get the word faith. Um, all things are possible for the one who has faith. Um, and, and then the, the father cries out this prayer that Christians throughout the centuries have prayed, um, that I've prayed a lot, that I would commend to you to pray a lot uh, in response to Jesus just naming his lack of faith, but also in a, the, the man in a position of desperation needing his son to be healed. The, fa- the father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, help my lack of faith. And um, this is who our Savior is, is that he responds to the doubter, the cynical, the weary, the worn down, who admits his doubt and his lack of faith. And he responds in mercy and kindness and grace and power. And he heals the boy's Son, and that's um, and that's like a, just a helpful thing to know if you're here and you're considering Christianity, looking into it, like wanting to learn more. Like it's um, a lot of times, like uh, it's something that you hear on the street is like I I need to like I need to really shape up my life before I can go to church. Um, like I need to get okay first, uh, and that couldn't be more wrong. It couldn't be more wrong. Uh, it's, it's the opposite. Like this man who, whose, whose lack of faith is spotlighted by the Son of God is treated with kindness and his son is healed. Those who are broken, messed up, who lack faith, who have just a shred of faith but are filled with doubts, those are welcomed in to Jesus' kingdom and receive his embrace. Um, Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit in power, sends the unclean spirit out never to come back. Um, and then the boy is like, you know, he convulses and he's like a corpse on the ground and everyone's like, he's dead. He's like he's dead. He's probably not dead. And Jesus grabs by the hand and he arises. And the, the language of arising, probably not surprisingly, is foreshadowing Jesus' own resurrection. It's a, it's, it's a death to life sort of account. The boy is healed in power. Retreating with his disciples, the disciples are like, why weren't we able to cast it out? And Jesus' Jesus' answer is like, it's so simple that it's like maddening for me. I don't know about you as you you read this account. But he's like, yeah, these things you just can't, you have to pray. Which I I guess that means the disciples weren't praying before that. Uh, it's, It's like, Jesus, can't you give me like some secret code, some like, incantation, Gregorian chant I'm supposed to do in order to like make these things happen. Jesus says these things don't happen but by prayer. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, so that's the story. Like I said, faith is I think really central to this passage. The climax of the story is about, is about you know, Jesus lamenting a faithless generation as his disciples lack the faith uh, to be able to cast out, to, to heal this boy. Um, and the, like the climax is, is the father's lack of faith being highlighted in his confession and Jesus healing his, his son. Um, and Jesus you know, makes this proclamation about, about faith, is that you know, anything is possible for the one who has faith. So I just want to spend some time looking back at this passage um, and looking at the wider scriptural witness about what faith is. Uh, and faith is a word that's just bandied about a lot um, in church and out of church, but it's a word that's like often not 
really defined. So I, so I thought I would spend some time on it. So what faith is not? Some things that faith is not. Okay, uh, Faith is not a guarantee that everything in your life will be easy. Uh, Jesus follows up this, this story by telling the disciples for the second time what his path will be, which is being betrayed by men, being delivered to men, and then being killed, and then being raised again. And he, he's emphasizing a lot in this section of Mark about how following him means it will be a cost. It will be taking up a cross. If Jesus is our model of faith, then we have to say that the proof of faith is not material abundance, uh, perhaps not even happiness as our culture would define it. The proof of faith is perseverance in the face of pain, poverty, and persecution. That's proof of faith. Faith is not, it's not like uh, landing on a space in a board game and getting like a, it's like a get out of jail, free, get out of suffering free card. Everything will be easier now. It's not necessarily that. It's, it's not like, um, I don't know if you guys ever played the game of, the board game of life. Um, it's an abominable game. Like, you know what, you know why it's an abominable game? This is what everyone will remember from this sermon is that I made fun of the game of life. Is that, um, do you know who wins at the end? It's the person who has the most money. And you get like chips throughout the thing, like getting money. And the person who wins gets to like retire at millionaire estates. It's like clearly a game that was, that was made in this country, I think. Um, like, faith is not, it's not a guarantee, not a promise that you'll win the game of life and retire to millionaire acres, you know. Um, faith, like even at a more basic level, faith, it's not a guarantee that you won't die. It's not a guarantee that you won't get sick. Um, everyone who's in this, this is, is everyone who Jesus heals in the Gospels eventually dies. Though faith is, um, faith is the assurance that in Jesus there will be new life after death. It is that. It's, faith does not guarantee that our family member diagnosed with cancer will get better. Just be like really brutal, like brass tacks about it. But, but, uh, another thing faith is not. Faith is not powerless. Faith is not just us sticking our heads in the sand and wishing for the best. Faith is, it's meek, but it's not powerless. Like, I can't preach this text with a straight face and say that, like, faith doesn't actually do anything. Like, clearly, you know, Jesus says in this passage, like, if you have faith, anything is possible. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he says, if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can cast cast mountains into the heart of the sea. It's like, there's something about faith that uniquely among the paths that are offered to us in this world that leads to blessing and power in your life. Which is why if you're here, not a Christian, and you're like, I just feel like I'm stuck in my life. Or maybe if you're a Christian too, maybe you need this word too. You're just like, I'm, I'm just stuck. I'm, I, the, you know, these are my, I'm, lonely, like these relationships are, aren't getting any better. I have these habits that I hate that won't go away. Um, like, to you, I would say, have faith in Jesus. Like, the, like yeah, there's access to, to unique power through faith in Him. And the, the reason that faith is, is not powerless, or to say it positively, the reason why faith is powerful is not, it's not because, like, 
faith is like gritting our teeth extra hard and like believing. Like when I was, when I was a kid, uh, my, my mental image of faith was like literally, it was like a, like a superhero who's like trying to discover his powers for the first time, you know, kind of like this face, like, you know, then, you know, maybe then I'll like be able to, and as like a little kid, you're always, uh, you know, it's always like, oh, maybe I'll have superpowers, like if I try really hard. Um, sometimes that kind of feels like faith is like that. I believe really hard, really hard, I, I believe. That's not where like the power of faith comes from. The power of faith comes from the object that the faith rests on, which is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus towards those who believe. Um, faith's power is not from gritting our teeth and trying harder, but from God himself, the object of the faith. So those are some things that faith is not. Uh, here's some things that faith is. Well, uh, just a, a, as much of a boiled down definition as I can get to about what faith is. Uh, faith is, is looking to Jesus. Uh, it's looking to Jesus as the source of your, your very life. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Is looking to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. Faith is looking to Jesus' spirit for power to love your enemies and do good in the world. Faith is looking to Jesus in your anger and your sadness as your life isn't what it was supposed to be. Faith is looking to Jesus as you seek to know the world and even know yourself. Faith is looking to Jesus first. Faith is looking to Jesus as you consider what to do, how to live with your family, your job, your time, your money. Faith is looking to Jesus because, this is, I think, really the heart of it. Faith is looking to Jesus just because he's delightful to look at. And he's our joy and our hope and our peace. Faith is looking to Jesus and trusting him. And that's, by the way, that's... Um, that's why Jesus uses, he says, like, these things can only be done through prayer. Prayer is the most elemental, the most, like, basic exercise of faith here as I'm defining it. Prayer is looking to Jesus uh, with your, your needs. It's looking to, to provide for your provision. It's, faith is looking to Jesus to confess, or prayer is looking to Jesus to confess your sins. Prayer is, is looking to Jesus just to praise him. Prayer is really the basic exercise of faith. So when Jesus says anything is possible towards those who believe, and he says, just pray, it's because prayer is the, like the access point, um, the conduit, like this key step in faith. Um, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's so simple. It's like maddeningly simple. Like there's no, Jesus doesn't give like some esoteric code. He doesn't, you don't need to like know some, all the ins and outs of some secret personality quiz. Um, even though those things can be fine, like you don't need to know all the ins and outs of those things. Jesus, like all the ancient, like the oldest heresies of the of this the Christian Church, always try and make like things into like secret codes and secret knowledge. Like, nope. Jesus is like, pray, which is really good news to like basic plain people like me and like you, who just who lack faith and want to grow in faith. So looking to Jesus is my definition, the definition I'm giving of faith. Now, of course, we, we can't see Jesus. It's a bit of a funny definition in some ways because we can't literally look at Jesus. We can't literally see him plainly. He's not like I can be like, look, there's Jesus. He's standing right there. Look at that guy. Like the, it's, 
the, uh, any definition of faith, like the, the most basic definition of faith we get from Scripture is from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, where it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is looking to the one who we can't see as we live in the world that we can see. It's another way to define faith. But of course, Jesus, though we can't see him plainly, it's not like he's left us alone. He's left means through which to see him, means of, of exercising our faith. He's, he's given, up, given us his word. He's given us this table. This is a key part of what he's given us right here every week. Um, he's given us uh, the church. The church is called the body of Christ in scripture, which is to say there are ways that we see Jesus in each other, in one another, that we couldn't see elsewhere. He's given us the power of his spirit. He's given us prayer, which I've already talked about. Do you trust Jesus enough to rely on the things he's given you for your faith? The opposite of faith, by the way, um, it's not necessarily doubt. The doubt can be part of it. The opposite of faith is looking somewhere else. Uh, that, that's, by the way, that's the fundamental error of so many of the people in this passage. Uh, their, their lack of faith is, is not just an absence of something, but a presence of looking somewhere else. Uh, so like the, the disciples' lack of faith in this passage is, is them having their eyes towards their own, their own greatness and their own security. We'll, we'll see a lot of that in this. In the next week is when, the, like right after this, the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. That's what's going on in the disciples' mind right now. Like they're looking elsewhere. Um, the, the generation around Jesus is looking everywhere but to him for salvation from, from Rome, from their sins. And the father, too, in his own way, even though Jesus is literally standing right in front of him, it's the if you can is almost like a dodging of the eyes elsewhere towards like his own cynicism and weariness or his own despair. Faith is, is looking somewhere else. And it's like, uh, I think like there, there's a phrase we have in the English language that helps us here in understanding what faith means. It's like, if a, a husband cheats on his wife, what word do we use? Say so he was unfaithful. Which is to say, it's not like he just was retreated and did, was, was alone. It's like, no, he actually was looking at his wife and then looked elsewhere, looked somewhere else. And another way of, of putting this is like something that you may have learned in high school, like high school science classes, is, is that nature abhors a vacuum. And then nature hates a vacuum. It, if, uh, I was thinking about this just in the parking lot this morning by, by the, uh, behind the school. Like the, if something's left empty for a while, like nature comes in and takes over. You look at an abandoned house, look at that parking lot, like um, plants, weed trees start growing. Uh, faith also abhors a vacuum. If you are not looking to Jesus for your life, your joy, your forgiveness, your courage, you will be looking somewhere else, even if it's not stated. There's really not, an, with Jesus, you can't really be agnostic. It's not really an option on the table. So I began this, the, this sermon by using some questions to cross-examine the text. Um, always a helpful exercise to do. Always a, another helpful exercise to do with Scripture is to let the text cross-examine you. So I have some questions for you 
that I think come out of this passage about faith um, that I hope will get me out of the way. Like ultimately my job as preacher is to just get out of the way between you and Jesus. Here are some questions. This, here's a, and this is how I'm going to close is with these questions. Um, so this is a question that's been said from this pulpit before, but it's worth repeating many times. How would you behave differently today if God was real and not pretend? It's a question about faith. Here's another one, straight from this text. With what in your life do you need to fall at Jesus' feet and cry, I believe, help my unbelief? And what would it look like to do that today? Is it a relationship, sickness, sin, despair? Okay. My last question um, uh, is about doubt. Uh, I'll admit this question has a bit of, a, bit of an edge to it. Like, uh, doubt springs from a lot of places, a lot of legitimate places. We want to be a community that welcomes doubters. We want to talk openly about our doubts instead of letting them fester in the darkness. Um, like that, Jesus loves the man who doubts here. The, the Bible says to, to be merciful to those who doubt. It says that in the, the book of Jude. But ultimately, like, we do long to be a community, a church of faith, not a, a church of doubt. So looking again at this, Father, question for you. What may your doubts reveal about your unfaithfulness to Jesus. Doubts aren't neutral. Remember that Jesus welcomes doubters to himself. Like this is, this is something that we say whenever we come to this table. It's like all you need is a shred of faith. Just like this, this the Father in this passage. I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, may that be our prayer as we cast ourselves into the arms of a merciful Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.